Lectionary Lab Live is recorded live in Gainesville, Florida and Brasstown, North Carolina. Welcome, everybody, to the Lectionary Lab Live. I'm John Fairless. I'm here with my Bubba, Delmer Chilton. Say hey, Bubba. Hey, Bubba. Hey, man. Good to hear from you today. And we're going to uh, look at some texts. We're uh, moving ever so steadily along. These are the texts for the 18th Sunday after Pentecost, October the 1st, 2023. As always, I'm looking forward to it. So uh, why don't you tell us what you got on your mind this day, Bubba? Well, I'm excited about the text today. So from some familiar text, uh, one of the more famous ones from Philippians, a story from Exodus we're familiar with, and a, 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 a dilemma that Jesus lays before both the leaders of Israel and us. Uh, mm. What does it mean to say Yes. The interrelatedness of all these texts uh, comes around two intertwined themes for me. Faith as trust. So very often we turn the issue of faith into intellectual assent to propositions. Yeah. You know, yeah. And the Bible presents faith as an issue of relationship and of trust in God. and by extension, trust in one another as other members of the faith. It's a organic trusting situation as opposed to a set of propositions on the wall that we check off our intellectual mm. understanding and assent right. to. I will own as um, as a Lutheran that we're particularly guilty of that one. We have <laughs> creeds and confessions. Yeah. I remember back in the day when everybody made fold threefold, trifold bro- pamphlets and brochures as part of our oh, yeah. public communications. And we'd have a whole section, what do we believe? Right. Uh, and in good uh, Victorian translation of German. <laughs> you know? <laughs> or, and, and then yeah. you'd come, and, then, and there'd be a paragraph, if there was communion, we didn't used to have communion every time. If there was communion, there'd be a paragraph about believing in the real presence. You know, right. if you want, and all that stuff about intellectual assent yeah. as opposed to trust. Do you believe? Yeah, well, you agree with us about this set of statements and these right. doctrines. Here's this package of stuff, and, you know, your faith becomes, will you agree with us about all these things? And and to be to go across the spectrum, Protestant spectrum, I grew up in Slate Mountain Missionary Baptist Church, and up above the pulpit behind mm-hmm. the the big preacher chair in the middle of the three set up there, deacon mm-hmm. on either side. There was a framed church covenant on the wall. Oh yes, and it was a. It was interesting to me as I got old enough to think about this. Just about the time I was getting ready to go to college, that the non-creedal Baptist only decoration in the room <laughs> was what could church only covenant. be defined as a creed. Having been led as we believe, yeah. and uh, yeah, it goes on there, and all these things that we we hold together. Yeah, yeah, and it it implies a a faith, a trust, 
but it becomes that. So these texts are about faith as trust and how one responds to that trust with obedience, not as a forced, with a whip, obedience, mm-hmm. but an obedience because you trust the one who asks. So we're those are intertwined. Um, you know, Exodus um, 1 through 7, the real question there has to do with, do they trust that God is present with them? And We'll come back to the text, but uh, it's obvious when you read through the text. That's what the issue The issue is not water. The issue is do you trust God is present with you us? Trust. In Ezekiel, uh, the question has to do with these exiles. Do they trust that God is still present with them and that their actions in relationship to God matter? Is God unfair? Philippians, you've got Jesus only doing what Jesus does in that great Christological hymn out of trust for the Father. Right. And in in Matthew we have this parable of what does it mean to say yes? And do you trust that it matters? This this is a more complex way of dealing with this trust, faith and trust. And do you trust God's messenger is basically and how do you respond to the message here? So let's walk through all those texts and explore let's some of this trust and obey. Uh, that's the old gospel hymn go. that if you felt like it, it'd be a good one for today. Trust and obey. Trust and obey, well, for there's no, no other, other way. way. Let John yeah, sing. We'll see. <laughs> y'all, y'all, y'all might hear that towards the end yeah. of the show. We'll see. All right. So Exodus 17, <laughs> 1 through 7. It's the second in our semi-continuous grumbling collection. Yep, yep. We grumbled about the bread last week. Now we're going to grumble about the water yeah, this uh, week. Right. Grumbling and grace. Uh, that seems to be the basic plot of this story is they get to a place where there's no water. And that, that seems like a legitimate complaint. <laughs> we're out here in the desert. We, we need something to drink. And, Ain't there to drink. And, um, you know... If, here on the East Coast, uh, everything is green. There's seldom, you don't go far without finding some water most of the time. But I've been in places where uh, it wasn't sure if there was going to be any water before you, you died, you know, driving across right. the western part of the United States, for example. And they were in a place where they didn't know if there was any water, and they'd run out of water. So it's a legitimate complaint. But the issue underneath it, with verse 7 7, tested the Lord saying, is the Lord among us or not? That's the real question. As your old friend and professor Liston Mills said, can God be trusted? That's what's going on. See, there's no water. They don't trust. And then Moses turns around and cries out to the Lord, and there's a little bit of trust. What shall I do with these people? They're almost ready to stone me. He's like, he forgets God said, I'll be with you. I'll take care of this. He's whining too. Mm-hmm. And God says, all right, I'll show you. I've told you before, I'll show you. And it's interesting, the the going backwards in this, the same staff with which you struck the Nile. That's a remembrance episode. Mm-hmm. Remember, I already did this something with water with this before. I can do it again. 
Uh, I have no idea what standing on the rock in front of you at Horeb might mean, except it does indicate that this is from an older strand where God is more likely to be anthropomorphized, you know, in that kind of presence. Well, it doesn't say you'll see me standing there. He just says, I will be be standing there. I'm going to be on the mountain. I'll be there. And you strike that rock and out it comes. Yeah. Presence of God. Presence of God. That's the issue. And he strikes rope rock and it comes what another piece that's interesting is the names Masa and Mariba one is test and the other is quarrel <laughs> right and it's interesting that the authors named it after the quarreling and testing not about after the grace moment hmm. and again this comes to the real issue is question is is the Lord among us or not now Right. Homiletically, I think all congregate, all Christians, and all congregations collectively have been in those periods, those dry periods, where you're beginning to wonder: Is God here or not? That's where it gets down to: Do you trust or not? What is? And it's not a. It's it's not trust testing God as much as it may be testing you. Well, it it just I'm thinking of this as I mentioned we we've already seen we we we've, we've seen the uh, Israelites after their deliverance after their escape they're trapped between the army and the water they're uh, they're running low on bread uh, now they're running low on drinking water we know coming up they're going to have uh, this sort of uh, lack of trust when Moses goes to the mountain with God, the absence of the leader, they're going to have uh, snakes running around, <laughs> nipping at their heels. There are multiple either opportunities for people to express trust and faith in God, or there are multiple opportunities for people to complain yeah. and act out. And it's just, you know, I, I told my folks a week or two ago, I said, look, this is not about whether you feel these are literal events was there literally a cloud of fire and uh you know column of fire and cloud are are there literally these things happening it uh, the stories are just illustrating how our human tendency is over and over again to respond first (laughs) by complaining or wondering or saying oh lord how in the world are we ever going to get out of this Instead of responding to say, oh, Lord, how are you going to uh, (laughs) deliver us? Another aspect to this is remembering that this was written down long after. Of course. And the people who wrote it down were religious leaders in Israel in the time of their being the kingdom. And I'm not, they, they didn't make any of this up. But it is a little bit of selective memory and framing as they look at it and ways of telling people that this is proclamation style. Yeah. They are remembering the fact that we had troubles in the wilderness and God came through. And this is this is the way it's written, is written to the people to remind them and us of right. God's grace in their midst, even though we often fail, we often grumble, we often feel like we're losing. So this was written 
to a people who were wondering if they were going to be okay. They were internal strife, and they're surrounded by larger kingdoms, and the author writes it, said, remember the stories about leaving Egypt and coming to the promised land? Even Mm. when we grumbled, God provided food, God provided water. God took care of us. God will take care of us. And for... It is... It's it's a simple but powerful idea yeah. that's going on here. While most folks are listening to this episode, we're uh, hunkered down and parceled away on the uh, Lectionary Lab preaching retreat this week. Yeah. And one of the things you often talk to us about, and a lot of you have heard this, is this idea. Uh, it's from a, a book. Uh, uh, four pages in the sermon, but the simple idea, we read this text and we say, ooh, where's the trouble yeah. in the text? Here it is. Well, we've got trouble in the world. Oh, yeah. Well, where's the good news yep. in this text? Well, that means there's good news in exactly. the world. And that's just exactly what's going on right. here uh, in these stories. I love them. Well, and, and the psalm has a, another reinterpretation of this event, Psalm 78. Uh, because it's uh, to the te- the the test of Israelite history, because it's written from the perspective of the southern kingdom, Judah, and it's written a bit against the northern kingdom, <laughs> in which the verses one through four, uh, the teacher says, "Now y'all come, I'm going to explain it to you, talk to you about the realities of the world." And then there's this section, 10 through 11, that discusses all the disobedience and points the finger at the northern kingdom. That's where the reinterpretation comes. And then it says yeah. in 14 through 16, the, second, the latter part of our text, mm. it comes back and says, see, God is good. He splits rocks in the wilderness and gave them drink abundantly from the deep. There's overall, the text from 78 reinterprets the event once again in terms of uh, who's bad and who's good. But un- for us, it is a reminder, hymnic reminder, as it were, that God is present with us and does magnificent things in the midst of our difficulty. And our call is to, tr- to re- give ear, to, to listen to the story of old, and apply it to our life that God is faithful. It'll work. So Ezekiel uh, comes in during the time of the Babylonian captivity, and the yet issue here is why are we in this sorry state? <laughs> and yeah. and it's a, a refrain that even shows up again, not in today's gospel lesson, but in gospel lessons over and over again at, at various times in the gospel. Whose sin, this man or his parents? Why are yeah. we in this state? And one interpretation is point, point the finger, finger at our parents and our ancestors, and that's what they're doing. The parents have eaten sour grapes, and the children's teeth are set on edge. And he says, don't say that anymore. So Ezekiel said the issue of trust is they don't trust that what they do matters. They believe their fate has been set, not by something they did, but by just the wheels, if you will. There's little difference between this and a kind of a 
Greco-Roman understanding of the gods just play games with us, set our fate, and we just play it out. And they're saying, well... Uncle, great uncle, so and so did something, and got, and it's 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 just going to keep repeating. It's come on down to us, and it's not our fault. We're paying for what our ancestors did. And Ezekiel, who had some legal training, among other things, and Mm -hmm. the way he set this up, his he's saying God is not unfair. There, the use of the word unfair through here is like five times at least, where it says about God being unfair. And he comes back, he sets it up in a debate, legal form, and he says, no, let me show you, God is not unfair. And one of the, in 26 and 27, he says, when the righteous turn from their righteousness and commit iniquity, they die for it. When the wicked man turns from his wickedness they've committed, they shall save their life. He's saying it's individual responsibility. There are historic implications of past history. We we know that. You know, people said economic policy 50 years ago that we're living with today. That That's inevitable. But that's not about, that's not what he's talking about. This is not about your relationship with God is on you. The way of the Lord is not unfair. It is fair. Repent and turn from all your transgressions. Verse 30. Otherwise, iniquity be your ruin. It's setting it up in an if-then basis. Now, we may have some trouble with this, but basically Ezekiel is saying to them, you can't cast your problems on your parents and on other people. You have to take responsibility between you and God. Last verse, 32 Turn then and live. Repent, turn to God, trust, and you'll be fine. Right. Can't sit back and say there's nothing I can do about this. I agree that this is there is an individual element to this, yeah. and each one of us has to consider. That is not to say that we forget about the communal. No response here because the words are consistently to the house of Israel the people and I I, I think as much as anything that's an important message for us today look I I can't just say well I you know I can't do anything about politics I can't do anything about the economics I can't go you know no we we are part of a people and in the church we're part of a people and so Yes, individually, this comes down to each of us, but it is also down to well, all of us. Yeah, and, and yeah. let me be clear about what I meant. It means that as not individual persons, but as present, as opposed to blaming it on the past. Correct. We we collectively, as the church or as the people of God, can act to change things. We are not doomed by the choices of our ancestors either biological or in the faith. And that's Got very it. clear. And that's what Ezekiel's battling with is a people who think there's nothing they can do. And I, I, I know from going around to a lot of churches, they're sitting there going, well, there's just nothing we can do. <laughs> it's just, it's out of our hands. They may not think in terms of the, this proverb, but they are thinking we, we can't do anything about this. And the, 
is the response is yes you can if you quit trying to achieve an unachievable goal yeah uh just one very simple one with smaller membership churches in my tradition everybody wants their own pastor and it's unaffordable now for many churches and if you keep saying well we got to do this and this and raise this money and do this and this so we can have our own pastor you'll never make it you know but if you rethink where is god leading us and how can we work with mission and sharing and finding ways with uh, bivocational ministry. There's all kinds of options as long as you don't turn your only answer into only one answer. Correct. And this is this is one of the things Ezekiel's saying to them is you're sitting here saying you're doomed because you only see one answer as to how what success is. And he says, repent, turn in a new direction, and let God and trust God to be in the midst of it. So the psalm is a confession psalm, verses 1 through 7 are essentially um, the words of confession, and 8 and 9 is a worship leader speaking, uh, they said, you'll be fine. It's kind of what we in the liturgical (laughs) tradition call the words of absolution uh, or assurance in some traditions. God instructs sinners in the right way. He leads the humbles what right. You'll be fine. Thank you for confessing. That kind right. of thing. Moving on to Philippians chapter 2, 1 through 13. This is usually an often done on Palm Sunday or Holy Week. And, and so we hear it, and we hear it on, mostly in the, the sense of Jesus' death and resurrection. Mm-hmm. Right. And we don't, we miss the context oftentimes because the context we're hearing it in is so much Holy Week. So we need to back up a little bit and look at the context in which Paul wrote this, which he's writing to a church that's in dissent within and threat from without, and he is appealing to them to have unity and providing them a basis for that unity. Verses 1 through 4 is this appeal for unity. And we, as we yeah. said last week, if you're having to say all these things, that means they don't have them. <laughs> yeah, he's, he's just like that passage we saw, yeah. as you said last week. He said, look, if there's all of these things, encouragement and consolation and love and compassion, and you're going, <laughs> they're sitting there going, um, you know, and what, what can you say against all those things? But that's not where they were likely. Dwelling. So there's, there's two key verses here. Let each of you look not to your own interest, Mm. but to the interest of others. So he's calling them to altruism. And then he nails it with, let the same mind be in you that was in Christ Jesus. Oh, well, you got to bring him up again. (laughs) That's right. Verse (laughs) 5. They're going... They're going, oh, no. So we're we're familiar with the V-shaped, you know, who gave up his, his, his place of honor. See, he's playing off of this, do not look to your own interest. Jesus didn't look to his own interest, y'all. He let go of heaven. He became a human. He became a, a, a slave. He, he went to death. He went to hell. But then God raised him up, brought him up, brought him into back to heaven 
So have that mind in yourself. Give up yourself so that you might care for others. You know, we get it. And then 12 through 13, verse 12, verses 12 and 13. Therefore, my beloved, just as you've always obeyed me, obedience, but nothing worry. You do the same. Work out your own salvation. God is at work in you, enabling you both to will and work for his good pleasure. Now, here's one of the great tensions in Christianity, and it can be from the conservative end or the the liberal end, either one. Um, in these last two verses, uh, 12 and 13, theologically speaking, is Jesus an example that we humanly strive to imitate or is this invoking in us awareness that God is at work in us, (laughs) that Mm -hmm. Christ, the risen Christ, is living in us, enabling us in this world to do what God has called us to do. In one verse, he says, work out your own salvation. Imitate what Christ has done. Live in the in the imitation of Christ. But in the very next work, it is God who is at work in you, enabling enabling you will and work. And if we stray strive, stray too far in one direction or the other, we have set up an impossible peace. If you stray in the part that it's only God working in us, then we don't do much. But if it's only us imitating God, then we we run around with the what would Jesus do, and we're not Jesus, so we can't do it. It's frustrating to try to imitate Christ. Paralyzes paralyzes us. So I think coming back to what Paul is about with this community, like we just talked with Ezekiel, he's talking about the community. Mm -hmm. Put yourself aside and let God work in you that work which you can do individually and collectively this is y'all just as y'all have always obeyed me yeah the plurality of the y'all work out your y'all got to work here all y'all's salvation yeah god's at at work in the midst Mm -hmm. beautiful stuff about trusting god to work in you and obeying what god has asked of us knowing that he will provide the ability to do it. Laying down all the stuff we've been holding on to that hampers this work in other places, Paul calls it grieving the spirit, you know, we sort of block the channel. And and when when we've uh, laid down some of this uh, selfish ambition and see when we've allowed humility to come in, etc., look what happens. God is at work. And that's where the will and the work, the energy, uh, come from. And good stuff. One of happens. the one of the key words is verse seven. But emptied self, kenosis. And as long as we're full of ourselves, there's no room for Christ and no room for anybody else. <laughs> yep. So, Matthew twenty one twenty three through thirty two. This is a two parter, interconnected two two parter. Uh, the first part, verses twenty three to twenty seven, is a debate with the leaders of Israel. And 28 through 32 is a parable he tells to nail, put the nail in the coffin of the debate. So, mm. 
Um, Got to remember where this, the context, once again, context mattered. Between what we read last week and this week, two things have happened. The triumphal entry and the overturning the tables in the temple. So here he is entering the temple again. And right. all and the chief priests, the chief priest and the elders, the leaders, have seen him come triumphantly, and everybody giving him all of this attention. And then he disrupted the temple, and so of course they want to know who do you think you are? <laughs> who do you think you are? They have laid a trap in public. They waited till he got in the temple, where all these people are around, because they want to to um. The word I'm looking for disqualify him. They want to yeah in front of the people because the people have been paying mm-hmm. too much attention. I uh, as this as we're doing this is the end of uh, the week ahead, and uh, I watched some yesterday of another Senate hearing. It doesn't matter which commit which party's in charge. <laughs> they call yeah. a witness. They have no interest in what the witness has to say. No. They're trying to ask questions in a way that will trap that person into saying something they can make political hay about. And the people right. on the other side are trying to do the same thing in a different way. That's what those hearings are about. They're not about honest questions and answers. Yeah. Same thing here. This is not honest questions and answers. Mm-hmm. And Jesus is right to evade their question. <laughs> And he really <laughs> evades the question and turns it back on him. Yeah. Uh, he says, okay, I'll answer if you'll answer me. <laughs> yeah. I've got an answer for you, but I need an answer. So uh, where did John get his authority? And they're scared to answer. You know. Mm-hmm. In verse, uh, verse 26, uh, they, it lays it out. Oh, 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 20, uh, 25 and 26. If we say from heaven then he'll say why didn't you believe it but if we say from the people uh we're afraid of the crowd yeah they all believe john's prophet yeah so uh, jesus basically says you want to play politics with me i'll play they answered we don't know and he said well i'm not going to tell you where mine comes from either Mm -hmm. now that that's one part of this yeah the second part then is he goes deeper into a way of saying where the authority came from because he says, what do you think? A man had two sons, and he said to the first, son, go work in the vineyard today. He said, no. Nah, I don't think so. Nah, but later, he changed his mind, I'll go. He said to the second one, oh, yes, sir, I'll go. He had no intention. Never did. Who did the will of the Father? Now, Jesus, it, within this context, they know they're te- he's telling this story against them, the leaders. Hmm. who think they're so pure. And he said, they're the ones always saying yes to God. Yes, yes, we're obedient. But what do they do? Is Jesus' point. On the other hand, he says here, John came to you in the way of righteousness, and you did not believe him. But the tax collectors and prostitutes believed him. Said your your complaint is not about me; it's about all these people you can't get to follow you, mm-hmm. who are applaud are following and listening to me and to John. And the question is: Are we messengers of God? Or 
This is a proclamation that Jesus and John the Baptist are proclaiming the message of heaven. And as we look at this parable, they're, they're basically people who say yes and do no. People who initially say no, but finally say yes. The question is, who are we? And I think most of us have to be honest that at various times we are both. We have enthusiastically said <laughs> yes to God, them, yeah. and then we didn't quite get there. On the other hand, we've said, no, I don't think so, and eventually it comes. This is a parable that ultimately for us comes down to the question. We we can leave first century issues where they are, people, but, and bring it to us. How do we respond to the message of the gospel? Do we respond when it favors us and when it doesn't. Uh, I think I mentioned Russell Moore a few weeks ago in some interviews I'd seen where he's talking about what he's hearing from some pastors mm-hmm. talking the teachings of Jesus about peace and, and reconciliation and turning the other cheek, getting attacked by parishioners who are saying, uh, we don't like that. We don't have to. That was then. This is now. That was old stuff. If Jesus were here now, that's <laughs> funny. If Jesus were here now, yeah. it reminds me of story I, I know from the man that came back to his hometown church after being away for 30 or 40 years and he was surprised that it wasn't the same as it was when he was a kid he wanted it to be yeah. just like he was when he was a kid and he came and confronted the pastor and his first line out of his mouth is if jesus were alive today he'd be shocked yeah. at the changes in this church <laughs> if jesus were alive oh. today we want to bring it. We want to bring it up. Well, quickly, two things. Number one, that Russell Moore is being quoted as uh, uh, an example of a more clear-headed thinker yeah. within uh, Baptist life is shocking to yeah. me. But that's, that's just a personal. Let it. I'm gonna let it go. Yeah. Uh, but uh, I, I love this moment. This internal moment of irony in verse 27 in the passage, when these spiritual leaders are the closest they ever get to uh, spiritual awakening. So they answered Jesus, we do not know. Yeah. And of course, they're, they're hung uh, horns of their own dilemma. They're hanging there, etc. If they could only, going back to um, the uh, epistle text, back to Philippians, if they could only let go right here. It's not an, an honest we do not know, perhaps, but it's... Uh, again, I, it, it's just a moment of internal irony yeah. right there. That uh, to me. Well, and so the question relative to Russell Moore, I'm just reporting factoids he's telling, not seeing him as authority. But no, no, no. I'm I'm talking about in the press yeah. and in the uh, yeah. that, that's yeah. happening, and and it, it ain't no need for me to drag no. in Baptist no. dirty laundry. No. But, but once upon a time, he was the the yeah he was at a different largest of well, betrayers. It, it, <laughs> It it could be some yes and no going on in terms yeah. of our lives, yeah. where we find ourselves. Yeah. And yeah. and that's my point, is that each of us has to struggle individually and collectively. How have we responded to the mm-hmm. authority, and do we reject it when it threatens us? See, the leaders were the scribes and Pharisees and, and elders, etc., were threatened by this new authority. And they were unwilling to, and the fact that they were unwilling to say, 
yes or no is because they were their authority was threatened. Sure. And that was it. Afraid of the people, I don't know, physically afraid, but they're afraid of losing the authority. We see this in losing the political votes. life in this country, you know. <laughs> uh, find out which way the people are going and run and get in front of them and call that leadership. Yep. And yep. our question for us individually and as a church is, are we willing to say yes, even if it leads us out of public favor? What is our motivator for saying yes and living yes? You know, there are multiple options here, and what we seek in ourselves is hearing the voice of God and saying yes and also living yes. And I, I would say none of us makes it perfectly. Correct. But that is what God calls us to, is to hear the voice respond. You got it, man. You got it. Trust well, as always, and obey. There you go. I think we're going to have to fire that yeah. up today. Uh, good stuff, man. And uh, we will keep it up. We're not far uh, from uh, turning this church year, finishing up uh, here in ordinary time and uh, preparing once again uh, for Advent. Stick with us. We'll try to make the journey with you. We'll have a little more or a lot more to say next week. but. Uh, I don't reckon there's much else for us to do today, Bubba, other than to tell everybody bye. Everybody bye. Lectionary Lab Live is a Two Bubbles and a Bible production. Our opening theme is Next Steps, performed by Half.Cool. We go out today with Trust and Obey, also known as When We Walk with the Lord. Written by John H. Samus, composed by Daniel B. Towner. The performance is by the Vagel Brothers. He abides with us still, and with all who will trust and obey. Trust and obey, for there's no other way to be happy in Jesus. Trust and obey. Not a burden we bear, not a sorrow we share, but our toil he doth richly repay. Not a grief nor a loss, not a frown or a cross, but is blessed if we trust and There's no other way to be happy in Jesus but to trust and obey. What we never can prove, the delights of His love, until all on the altar we
Thank you.